I'm Anna Tonk. Welcome to How to Be Human, a podcast that explores the common and often confusing themes of humanness. Hello, hello, hello. I am recording this on a finally chilly day. It is Anna, your now solo host of How to Be Human. I hope you enjoyed episode 50 last week with Eric Wiener. I have another guest for you today. And Molly's just the coolest. I have been a fan of her work for a very long time. I took a really incredible class with her last year. And I'm telling you, it never ceases to amaze me. Like, I don't really care about celebrity. I don't put people on a pedestal because they're famous or published or whatever. I think I tend to have a crush on people or be really admiring of them because they're just doing stuff. And as I see them, they are trying to figure out how to be themselves and how to do what they were brought to this earth to do. And Molly, by my perception and my borderline creeping on her, is endeavoring to do that. Molly has had a, a blog and I'll get into her formal introduction in a second. But you know, watching her work since like, I don't know, like 2009. And to be able to get to the point where I felt comfortable reaching out to her and being like, hey, what a couple of my podcasts, you know, just really inspired me in terms of the power of connection and putting yourself out there. And you never know when you reach your hand out, who's going to be willing to reach their hand back and say, sure, let's, you know, skip along to the playground of podcast. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Molly. Molly Weisenberg is the author of three memoirs, most recently, The Fixed Stars, a finalist for the 2021 Washington State Book Award and a 2021 Stonewall Book Awards Honor Book. Her first two books, A Homemade Life and Delancey, were both New York Times bestsellers. Her writing has appeared in The Guardian, The Washington Post, Bon Appetit, Lit Hub, and elsewhere, as well as Orangette. The James Beard award-winning blog that Molly wrote from 2004 to 2019. She also co-hosts the food and comedy podcast, Spilled Milk. Molly lives in Seattle and teaches writing around the world. You can find her at mollyweisenberg.com or through her newsletter, I've Got a Feeling, at mollyweisenberg.substack.com. Without further ado, please enjoy episode 51, Molly Weisenberg. So we were just before we hit record talking about that you're an introvert, but I think of you as sort of this sneaky introvert that is like all about town. And then (laughs) you released all about town is maybe being a little bit, but like, I do feel like you're good about, you know, kind of being out in the world and you create community often Mm -hmm. in the different places you are. How do you work that out, that balance of being amongst the people and then retreating back into your world? God, that's, I love that you're asking that because I think it's such a matter of perception. I mean, Mm. if you only knew 
<laughs> how many days I never leave my house. And I'm very much a homebody. I don't like making small talk, despite the fact that I have a podcast where I just kind of like shoot the shit with my best <laughs> friend for, you know, sometimes up to 45 minutes. I think that it has always been important to me as a writer, which is always what I've done primarily. It has always been important to me to feel that I am communicating to another person. Mm. It, it is difficult for me to maintain my world without communicating to somebody else. I mean, that seems kind of obvious. But in my writing, I always feel that I am aware that there's somebody on the other side of it. And that's really important mm. to me. And I know that's not the case for all writers. Sometimes we need to go to a space where we feel like we're just there with ourselves. But so for right. me, I, I feel like I'm always aware in a pleasant sense that there's like an open chain that I am working within, communicating to somebody else. And so I, God, I do not think of somebody who's good at my, good at like building community. I feel like I am really? like not very good at maintaining friendships. I think the way that at least, I don't know, the way that maybe TV makes me feel like I should. I don't know. But yeah, uh, but, I mean, TV makes us feel a lot of ways. But no. all this to say, I love that you would think that I am out and about because in truth, I am just here in my little house in my dark dungeon of an office <laughs> doing a very particular set of communicating with the world or version of communicating with the world, which is writing and teaching writing, which is my favorite way to be with people. That was a really long-winded answer. <laughs> I love it because I can't answer a question quickly or succinctly either. Great. So people <laughs> who want to share all their thoughts to answer the question, unite. I feel like I, not to make light of OCD, but I do feel like sometimes I have almost like intellectual OCD of where I'm like, no, 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 I need to get it all in, you know, or like. I need to address all the points or whatever. Mm -hmm. and, and I have to be like, no, editing is our friend sometimes, oh, you yes. know, like oh, yes. really dialing it down. I think part of why I perceive you as being like out and about, and some of this might be one of the good things about being a writer is you have all these like really beautiful anecdotes or when you're reflecting like, you know, I also subscribe to your Substack. I've been reading Orange Jets, you know, RIP Orange Jet, but you would be like this friend visited and we went to this place and have these like incredible apps and you know like and there's a quality I think to how you you know my perception how you live that is like very mindful and observant but you also are sort of like I don't know dudes like I'm making it up as I go along and I wonder you're from Oklahoma City yep. and your parents were not from there right. and it's interesting. I think you talk about that both in the Fixers and a little bit in Delancey. And like, it seems like even though maybe they felt like not outsiders, but like definitely didn't feel like they were of that land, you know, mm -hmm. they had a respect for it. And they encouraged you to like experience all these different things. It's not like, you know, your mom, it's, it sounded like it wasn't like your mom just sat around and like bitched about being stuck in Oklahoma City or something. You know, did that teach you to be like kind of open and more observant to things to sort of like really be wherever you are and be like, well, what is to mind from this? Like, because I'm from Atlanta, which is not exactly 
the most exciting place. And the South can also be a little wild at times. Yeah. And I think some of that shaped that looking for... For me, it's always looking for the the comedy or the humor. It's always looking for the wink or yeah, the whimsical, yeah, yeah. you know? And I feel a sense of that from your work that I was curious if if any of that comes back to childhood, being raised by sort of people who were like observing a land in a way. Yeah. I love, I love that you would ask that. Nobody's asked me that before. And I don't think that's a connection that I've made, but I don't think it's incorrect. I think, <laughs> I think for me... I feel lucky to have been raised by people who, I mean, I feel lucky in a lot of ways to have been raised by the people I was raised by. But I think that both of them were, I don't know if they would call themselves this, but I think both of them were people who were always seeking something. And it didn't mean... So seeking, did you say seeking? Seeking, yeah. That's literally in my notes that I have about you that I wanted, I said that I feel a sense that you're seeking... Yeah, and yeah. I wanted yeah, to ask totally. you, what are you seeking? So I don't so know, Anna. Funny. Same. Same. <laughs> no, so I think, and and you know, this is like a bitchy thing for me to say, but I <laughs> really struggle to relate to people who aren't seeking something. And Same. I don't think I need anybody to know what they're seeking, but I need them to be seeking. And I guess what I mean by that is like. I don't know. I mean, my life has looked a number of different ways, e even just within adulthood, right? I mean, I've been married to a man. I'm now married to a non-binary person. I've had a child myself. We're about to have a child that my spouse is giving birth to. Um, I've lived in Oklahoma, and I've lived in Europe, and I've lived in Seattle. And it feels like a, a number of different things for me. Oh, I owned a restaurant, too. That was harrowing. <laughs> But all this to say, I think that part of what keeps me writing is a sense that I am seeking something and I can never quite get my finger on even what it is that I'm seeking. But it's more like a feeling when I get there. And I land mm -hmm. there and I don't ever stay there too long. I think that this is just human nature, you know? What we're looking for yeah. isn't a stable thing. But uh, yeah, I remember talking to a friend of mine whose family I knew well and in a particularly catty moment was like, I just feel like I don't understand your parents. Like I don't, what gets them out of bed in the morning, do you think? Mm. And it's like, a, I don't know. We all have something that gets us out of bed in the morning, but I kind of like to see it like written on somebody's face. Do you know what I mean? I Yeah, I want to know what drives you a yeah. little bit. I mean, I feel like it's a little bit of a, of a Goldilocks situation where if someone's like, I'm content, I want for nothing. I'm like, I don't get you, you mm -hmm. know? But also if people are hyper-focused like on one thing, I also find that a little boring as well. I you know? really, when, yes, yes. But I think I always want people to have a little bit of like a point of view, you know, that mm -hmm. maybe I don't agree with what drives you or it wouldn't be what would drive me, mm -hmm. but I can tell that you're in pursuit of something, you yes. know, that I'm like, cool, there's something I understand about you, you know, sometimes I'm like, would my life be easier? Would I be more content if I like, didn't seek or didn't want 
it's like you're trying to imagine that you're a completely different person. So it's like kind of impossible to do. I'm like, oh, but I would be so bored. I'm like, no, because you would be that person. You would yeah. be the person who maybe the routine and the simplicity is what really fuels you. Totally. I'd love to talk about your first marriage because reading Delancey and reading The Fixed Stars and something I find really fascinating is you went through this bombastic transformation and completely changed your life. And most people, when they change their lives, you know, get the luxury of being like, bye to the past mm -hmm. and can kind of wrap these things in a bow. And you have a child, you mm -hmm. had a business mm -hmm. And in the fixed stars, like, my God, not that I want you to like talk shit about your ex, but the grace that you write with that whole book was so fascinating. And anyone who's maybe contemplating themes of what kind of life do I want or identity or sexuality, like, I highly recommend you read Molly's book. I had read it when it first came out. And then I read it when I was on the plane for my midlife crisis sabbatical in Italy. I was like crying in business class because I treated myself. Yes. And it's funny, I don't really usually cry on planes unless I'm in business because then they leave you alone. <laughs> and you're like, you're like in your private pod and they're like, she's having a moment. I'm like, this oh book is God. just so good. And they're like, okay. I've always wanted to be in those pods. I've never been in one. <laughs> Honestly, I begged Shit. my mom. Yes, I'm in my 40s. I was like, mommy, may I please have some of your miles? <laughs> and she was like, would you like that as your birthday present? And I was like, I would. <laughs> so I've spent long enough trying to be fully independent. I can like ask for stuff now mm -hmm. and she'll give it because she trusts I am an adult. She's like, I've, she's raised because my mom would be like, no. She was like very strict when we were younger because she didn't want us to be like spoiled brats. And now I'm like, please, mommy. <laughs> she's like, all right, you know. <laughs> But I thought what was so interesting is it starts and you you don't really warm us up, which I appreciate. And I love this idea of like you wanted to be sort of tidy in a way mm. as a person. And we're like, no, that's not going to work out. And it's such a mundane thing, you know, jury duty, you know, as a reader, it's like what lights the fuse. And at first you're really contemplating like, holy shit, am I gay? Like, am I in... You know, like, did I not know this? And then I thought what was interesting, and when you were talking about, I guess, in terms of starting Delancey, when you realize, like, I don't know if this is the life I want. Like, I don't know if I want to have dinner alone mm -hmm. every night. Mm -hmm. And that really hit me. You know, like, something about the simplicity of thinking, like, because I think so many people get stuck in relationships or forms of life where... We're like, one day I won't have dinner alone. Like one day this is going to change. One yeah. day this is going to shift. Yeah. And I think often the problem isn't that we it needs to change. The problem is we're not being honest about what we want or or maybe don't know, you know, totally. like, totally. and that process of yours, like, obviously it's a book, it's been edited. You also had some time, but all of this happened kind of recently and you write with just a lot of grace for everyone involved, yourself, at like, how the fuck did you do that? And you're coming to so many realizations. Like, how did you not need to go be in Italy for a month? Or did you sneakily? <laughs> well, no, I didn't. God, I did not. No, I wish I had. Okay, well, so number one, I had a really good therapist. 
Mm. I had gone to therapy off and on prior to sort of this shakeup in my marriage. And I was like in between therapists when the jury mm. duty thing happened. And I developed what this a time. Sort of, I know. <laughs> and I developed this sort of obsessive crush on this female defense attorney. And I asked a friend who was a therapist if there was somebody she might recommend. And I said, I mm. want somebody who isn't just going to listen to me and pass me a tissue. Like I would like somebody who's going to push back because I, Ooh. and I think that's really crucial. I wanted somebody who was going to push me harder because I don't know if mm. you've ever had the experience in therapy of somebody just commiserating. That's not what I wanted. I was like, Everything I understand about myself is not what I thought it was. And I need mm -hmm. somebody who is going to help me like widen the lens. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if I was Absolutely. seeing myself in a certain way, I needed somebody who was going to come in and help me see differently. So yeah. not just like affirm what I was seeing. Do you also think when you have those realizations, when something sort of I'm going to use the word scary because I think anything mm -hmm. that totally. completely upset or, you know, unravel our life is scary, you mm -hmm. know, or threatening. I think sometimes it's like we have that and we kind of feel it. And I think it is a very physical sensation when you're sort of like, whoa, this thing's happening or mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm happy or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think it's like we have that temptation too to close down or maybe disassociate or, you know, sublimate it in some way. Do you think that you also wanted a therapist who like wasn't going to let you do that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so I had a really good therapist who was good at identifying yeah, these moments when I was looking away or moments when I was being mean to myself, mm. you know, or uh, when I wasn't uh, actually getting to the the bottom of the thing. Yeah. So that was a huge thing. And the other thing, well, two other things. Number one, well, number two, but number one, if these last two <laughs> things is I did a ton of reading. I was like, wow. so curious about what was happening to me because I really, it had never, even though as I write in the book, I did have this major crush on a woman very briefly at the beginning of my senior year of college that felt like a little blip. Yeah. Like when you go through a phase of really liking a particular food and then you're kind of done with it. Sure. It felt like a blip where I learned something interesting about myself, but then it genuinely didn't come up again for me until this jury duty thing. But yeah. even trying to figure out how to get my head around that, I was like, Molly, are you lying to yourself? Like, do you just want yeah. this to be your story? So I did a tremendous amount of reading, trying to find somebody or, or trying to find stories that could help me see mine better. So I did a lot of reading, which is part of why there's like a giant ass bibliography at the back of the fixed stars. <laughs> and then the other thing was the writing of it. Like, I think readers can tell when you are not thinking your way through to the end of the thought or yes. when you are holding back at any given time. I mean, like what I might write if I were to write the fixed stars now, for sure, I think I have more insight on some things than I did when I finished it, which was in the middle of 2019. But I'm really glad I wrote it when I did because that was when the energy was there. And I knew enough to know that what I was writing was true and that I could see far enough to see that. And the writing itself helped me get clearer on 
the story. I could see that. Something I find really interesting about you. I took um, Fariha Roshan's class, uh, mm. Writing with Vulnerability in Mind. And people, something that came up a lot with the participants was trusting memory. And a lot of your work, I feel like, is about memory. I mean, or memoir, you know? And you seem, that that doesn't seem to be a problem for you. How have you... <laughs> She's making a really amazing facial expression. Oh, yeah. Um, no, I love this question. I'd be c- curious, like, how have you strengthened your ability to both I think you also do a good job of like trusting your truth like there's a neutrality I feel like when you talk about yourself of kind of like for better or worse this is what it is for me or what you know like you don't really seem to get caught up in like am I right or am I wrong and am I telling the truth or this or whatever you seem to be like what I'm saying this is is my recollection you know like this is my memory this is my like and the workshop I took with you, like, I really appreciated that, you know, that was a big tool you were using. It was making us go to a memory. And I really appreciate you emphasize it doesn't have to be a sad one or a trauma, like, because I think that's what a lot of the encouragement is, is, is mm-hmm. to go to these places. And I mean, no offense to to writing teachers and or stuff, but it's like... I don't know, like, are you trauma informed? Like, do we need to be opening up all these cams of worms in like an hour class? Like, yeah, for what, you know, and I found for myself as someone who does have trauma in my background, but like has done a lot of therapy that going towards the work where people are like, the trauma will always be there. The sadness will always be there. The bad shit will always be there. But how do we go into memory and trust memory about like, things in a more maybe holistic way or even just like your recollection about like being on vacation or something like mm-hmm. how do you trust like oh and I could smell the the fig trees in the air it's like but it's amazing to me how often people will make themselves crazy about that and even for myself as a tarot reader like when someone's like oh, I want to ask about my love life and then the amount they'll like revise their recollect or memory. And I'm like, it's okay. We're not in a court of law. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the memory police are not showing up, mm-hmm. <laughs> nor do I think this is like the absolute truth. Like it's fine, you know, like, and really from with tarot, it's like for me to be able to give you any guidance, like I need your truth. You know, what is your truth about this situation? You know? So how have you done that? How have you strengthened your ability to like trust memory and not get so hung up on like, I guess right or wrong or something, or someone's going to come and say, that's not what happened. You know, like I think that's most people's fear that someone's going to like leap out of the bushes and be like, that's not how it happened or something. Sure. No, this is all, this is, this is very real stuff. I want to address one thing first, which Mm -hmm. is like, you know, I think that the reason why, especially so, so many like teachers of memoir or narrative, you know, personal narrative writing, you know, why it is so easy to lean on these memories that are difficult. I mean, obviously, like they're gold mines, right? Like, you, yeah. if you can get if you can get in there, well, you, you may well get re-traumatized, but you've got a lot to say <laughs> uh, or like a lot of emotions about it. But I think the thing is, is that any memory that has stuck with us, 
And very often, right? Like very often our most difficult memories are the ones that have like giant gaping holes in them or the ones that we have willfully forgotten or that our brain is like for adaptive reasons forgotten, right? But the memories that we remember most often, there's a reason why we remember them. And very often those are like the happy moments or the moments of just like thrumming contentedness where nothing big happened, nothing particularly sad or nothing particularly explosively joyful. And those moments are really valuable. And those moments are the moments that I think the best writing comes from because we remember them for a reason. And there's always a reason why these like moments of sort of thrumming contentedness or feeling that uh, like we are for a moment. Okay. Those moments stand out because they help illuminate other moments and we'll get there eventually. But if we can like build within memory, a safe place to hang out and feel what we felt in a moment that is safe, we can begin to ask questions about other moments that don't feel as safe or other moments Mm. that feel confounding or that have big holes in them or where our memory is fragmented and fractured. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. I like that. I think of it too is often like we have to find ways to like wade in and to me you're describing a way to wade in that like some of that stuff that is to protect us you know like maybe won't fire as quickly like something I took away from your class that I thought was really interesting was that obviously the senses play such a, a, a role in memory and so many of my memories like Sometimes I think with a happy memory, like you underestimate how much is there because you're like, yeah, it was a good time. What else? You know, and the way you like walked us through and then kind of kept leading us back. I was like, oh, you remember so much more than you give yourself credit for that. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I can remember like what the sun felt like. I can remember. And if I hadn't stopped to pause and to write about it, like. I don't think I I would have gifted myself that in a way to be like, you remember more than you think. Like, because I'm, I have ADD and I think because my dad died when I was young, I've got a lot of emotional hoarding and like impermanent stuff, you yeah. know? So I can get very like, I want to remember everything, you know, like I obsessively take photos and, and stuff like that. And, and for me, it is an exercise in reassuring myself, like trust, like you'll, you'll remember what you're supposed to, yeah. you'll like when something happens, like I try to like pause and be like, lock this in and something I really started to notice after your class is like often when I'm I'm like kind of locking something in so I don't start to get kind of obsessive about it I'm really using my senses yeah I'm really like what does it feel like right now what does it sound like right now what do I smell right now you know in those moments and but it really hadn't occurred to me like I mean sometimes I think there's something that stands out of like oh there was a loud noise or there you know like Something like that. But I hadn't really thought about if you'll pause and really let yourself go back somewhere. It is a much more full experience, you know? You make it an embodied experience, really. Yes, yes. You know, like you rebuild that for yourself. Yeah. But to go to your question of how do I trust memory? Yeah. I mean, for one thing, it's really freeing to remind myself that no one is going to remember any particular event the exact same way that I do. 
Like True. there yep. are for sure the, the like the empirical fact, uh, you know, so-and-so was sworn in as president on such and such day in January of such and such year, right? We have empirical facts. Yeah. But for the vast majority of our memories cannot be verified by anyone, including ourselves. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. if you choose to put your work out there, for sure, there may very well be somebody who doesn't see it the same way you do even somebody who was standing right there next to you. But number one, you don't ever have to put it out into the world. Yeah. Number two, other people almost never care about me as much as I care about me. Like they just, <laughs> they just don't. It's very true, unfortunately and fortunately. <laughs> uh, uh, I know, it's so tragic and so freeing. <laughs> yeah, but, it is. <laughs> but, but the other thing is, I'm much more interested in the question, like, does it feel emotionally true? Ooh. If I felt like the villain in a particular event in my life, well, does it matter to me whether somebody else thinks that I was the villain? Like, the important thing here in my story is that I think I'm the villain. That's what I'm interested in exploring. So, mm. yeah, I think that we have to keep in mind, or at least for me, the goal is always trying to get at who I was in a given moment or why I did what I did. And nobody knows what's true there except for me. And yeah. also what we don't remember is also something really interesting to get curious about. Oh, I mean, nothing like recording a podcast to start showing you what you don't remember. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Listening to like seven minutes of yourself and being like, I have no recollection of that. Like, whoa. I will forget everything we've said here today within like 10 minutes of, <laughs> of, of putting down this mic. I love that about podcasting, though, because, yeah, I mean, since this podcast is quite conversational, like the podcast I do with my friend Matthew, Spilled Milk, I feel like sort of, this sounds dumb, but I feel like, you know, very like radically present because I'm... yes. Like, I can't be anywhere else and do this with you. And that's pretty right. cool. It, it is cool. I think for me at this point in my own life, it makes me feel alive, you know, that there's a bit of a rush to it. Yeah. And, and it's revealing. I think if you can get to a certain place of self-confidence, sense of self, something you start to sort of realize how fluid we are, you mm -hmm. know, like really, I think if, if, I mean, I don't know, I guess some other people be like, no, I like, I've never changed a day in my life. And I'm like, I don't know if I really believe that, you know, but I think that for me, it's been good to kind of like loosen up and just to build some of that self-trust a little bit more of like, Oh, so you didn't like remember that? Like, that's interesting. You know, like, mm -hmm. as my therapist always says, meet it with curiosity, you know, yeah. and that's been a good thing for me rather than, you know, maybe getting mired down in like perfectionism or like trying to be overly self aware. I'm like, just meet it with curiosity, you know, mm -hmm. to rather than putting, I think people put so much pressure on themselves. I don't know if it's because of social media to like be a brand or to be, this very tidy, palatable, complete thing all the time that I just, I don't know that we are. I just don't think human beings are that, you know, mm -hmm. um, is where I'm sort of netting out. I'm curious, what's the reaction with the people in your life when your book came out? Or like, did you mm -hmm. let people read it first with the, the fixed stars? I mean, did, were you, 
I struggle with that sometimes. Like my therapist is like, you need to tell your mom and brother you're talking about on the podcast. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and she's like, you, and I had to navigate that of like, if you make work about the people in your lives or you're going to talk about them, like what are those boundaries and what is a courtesy? What is a, how did you navigate all that? Well, I almost never talk to the people. Actually, I never talk to the people that I am writing about uh, when I am actively writing. I wait till sure. I'm done. And I think that for the most part, if it's a relationship I'm interested in maintaining, I owe it <laughs> to them to let them know what's coming down the pike. And if it's not a relationship that's active or that I'm interested in maintaining, like sometimes I just kind of make them anonymous or turn them into someone mm. else in the book, but they might recognize themselves. But all this to say, you know, I feel like it's really important to, I think, figure out what you can live with because mm. at the end of the day, I'm writing about myself, even when I am writing about my divorce or when I'm writing about my dad's death or whatever, I'm going to be your narrator. And that takes, sure, like a certain amount of chutzpah or willingness to admit to myself that I'm going to be the leader here. I'm going to be the focus. Yeah. But at the same time, that's also a really clarifying thing to realize because it means that when somebody else enters into this story that I am narrating, I can't jump inside their head. I don't get to say what I think they're feeling unless they told me. I don't get to jump inside their skin. I have to stay in my own skin. And that is, I think, very challenging and also much more interesting to figure out, like, why do I think he was angry at me there? Like, where did I get that information? That's really interesting to me. So I tend to think of it as like, I am going to be the lens through which you will see the thing I'm showing you. And where other people enter into it, like they just intersect with my life, but I have to stay in my own skin. And right away, that forces me to be honest about what I can what I can and can't tell and what I can and can't access. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I love what you said about staying in your, your own skin that you can't. And it's true. I hadn't thought about it until you said it, like in the fixed arts, you're not guessing. You're not you're never wondering what the people in your life are, are thinking. Or if I am wondering, or if I am making an assumption, I tell you I'm making an assumption. It's, yes, yes. You're very clear. Yes. You're not um, doing what most of us do in our personal lives of just creating narratives. And that, you yeah. know, it's like, I know, or I know he hates me or whatever. You know, you're not, you know, you are speaking to your experience of like, I don't know how this person feels. I hope it's not this or whatever, you know. So I'm in my 40s single and marriage flips me on. I'm still working on my commitment phobia stuff. But some of it was like for I found your work really interesting about like gender roles and stuff. And like one of your recent newsletters about that and how the division of labor, the parenting 
And it's funny. I almost, I, I think I almost responded or commented and was like, you are confirming why like I'm still, <laughs> I like laugh, you know, cause I'm like, I don't really want to just roam this earth, you know, alone. And I'm, I am pretty sure I'm straight. So it is men for me, unfortunately, but slash fortunately y'all are great. Um, <laughs> but gender roles are a bummer and they're really entrenched yes. in the U S I can't really speak to other countries. I'll, you know, I mean, well, theirs are different, yeah. but with ours, like, and I really appreciated so much of what you've said about you became a better parent post-divorce of just like having more help and it, and more time in, you know, these sort of things. How did heterosexuality and like the bane of gender roles and things, do you think that was also not right for you in some some ways like I'm just sort of like well I clearly want a more unconventional life like whatever that means you know was that part of your realization of like yeah I don't want to it's like interesting I think reading the book that you're almost a bit of a passenger for a while yeah and sort of he's like coming home and like sign the lease and you're like what you know mm -hmm. and then it's like you wake up and you're like I've we've come somewhere I don't want to be mm -hmm. and that is my fear mm -hmm. kind of in heterosexuality because every relationship I've had with a man, when push has come to shove of me really trying to maintain, I think, my independence or my autonomy or being the star of my own life, it's crumbled. Mm -hmm. You know, like mm -hmm. when I've really been like, I'm not just going to be your wife or I'm not just going to be your cheerleader. And not to say that men aren't capable of wonderful partnership. I have friends who are in incredible relationships and things like that, but it seems like such a rarity. And I'm curious now you are remarried. I feel like you have such a window into partnership, general, like all this sort of stuff. I don't really know what my question is, but I just want to know. Cause it's like you, I can tell you've been like marinating on this and I really resonate with it when you're just sort of like, I think of how much work women have to do and it's Fuck just, yes. And I see it with my mom even from sun up to sundown is like busy all day, just busy. And I think so much of that was like her conditioning of like, yeah. you must be oh, industrious yeah. and keep the house and do all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm just not interested. Like all the memes that are about like, I should be able to like make art and eat fruit. You know, I'm like, yes, <laughs> that is the life for me. <laughs> like I want to be like Tove, you know, Jansen just floating with my flower crown, yes. you know, yes. <laughs> that I'm just curious where you're netting out these days about some of that, you know, like mm. in how how do you separate it sort of from your ex versus the patriarchy? You know, like yeah. I don't think he, it wasn't just like, you know, he was doing this. It's like, it's how he was brought up and conditioned, you know, totally. it's a huge, you know, tangled knot of things. And he was even brought up by somebody who I think tried to be reflective about this. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't in retrospect think she w was reflective in quite the right ways, but she was trying yeah. and we're all trying and we're all like totally. not, not doing it right. You know? Well, and he comes across as someone who thinks about these things too. It's not yes. like he's someone who was like, no, I expect you to stay home. Oh, you know, yeah. like it, yeah. this was much more, I think, subtle and sure. like, that's why it's tricky. Well, yeah, it was subtle and it felt normal to me because we don't mm -hmm. have a whole lot of models of it being otherwise. Yeah. So I think that something that I have been realizing and that I was thinking about a lot while you were while you were talking about your own experience with men in relationships is I think that 
even if you, I would like to think that this would be different today. But during the time, you know, most of my life when I was dating men and knew myself to be straight or believed myself to be straight, I think instinctively I would have been mildly turned off by a guy who, the kind of man who I look at now and I'm like, oh my God, what an awesome man. Like, it's I, true. Don't, yeah. I don't think I would have ever chosen a man like that. I look at friends of mine in straight marriages or a dear friend of mine, Matthew, who I do the podcast with, mm -hmm. who was a stay-at-home dad and performs a lot of the stereotypically female work in his household, the, the bulk of the cleaning, the cooking. He is very involved in the family schedule, and he has never been the primary breadwinner in the family. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you, I adore Matthew, and I know that he will know what I mean, but I think that if you had presented me with a man who proposed to live that way, I would have been like, I'm sorry, I can't get it up for you. <laughs> I don't know. And that makes me really sad because that is conditioned into me and yeah. it is deep. And it's not that I want a dude bro, but... God, I look at my female friends who are married to men who are really equal partners. Mm -hmm. And I think, how did you do it? How did you know that this was what you wanted? Because I didn't know that was what I wanted until I had something that I didn't want and could see the degree to which I needed to get clearer on what was okay with me and what wasn't. Yeah, it's tough. I'm I'm similar to you and that generally I learn via what I don't want, mm -hmm. which isn't great when people are involved. Sure. Because you have to be like, hi, sorry about that. <laughs> like that was past Anna's decision and current Anna is not about this. You know, like I think it can be confusing sometimes because you're yeah. like, I was okay with this. Like I did agree to, you know, like I'm not a victim here. Like I, I, yeah, I said no. yes to this. And then I, but I do feel like one day it's like the spell breaks mm -hmm. and I'm like, I don't want this anymore. Or this is not. Or you realize, yeah, that what you thought you wanted isn't actually, it was never your mouth speaking. It was, it wasn't, you know what I mean? I, it's not yeah. like I've been asleep during all of it, but yeah, I think that the version of masculinity that I, growing up in the particular soup I grew up in, came to find appealing, did not include a man who was emotionally present. <laughs> I, you know, it's like, I don't know if I wouldn't find because I feel like that was a lot of my guy friends growing up you know mm -hmm. that I feel like there's a part of me that finds it appealing I think it's hard for me to fully trust you know oh, okay that I'm like oh I'm like sure sure you believe in it until I buy in you know or yeah. until you get a job offer or something I think I would be more suspicious I think than than not interested or not attracted to it. I think I would be more not trusting because oh, yeah. 
I mean, it's like I've had the same dudes being like, I think we should have a matriarchy who then quit talking to me when they were jealous about some of the success I was having. And I was like, how does that work, dude? You know, like how how do you reconcile those, you know? And that's, I think, what I get a little like, "Mm, I don't know about, you know? I think one thing that has felt different to me, and I can't generalize really at all about my relationship because I've only been with two people who were not men. (laughs) I had a a girlfriend who I wrote about in the book um, who identified as female and then my spouse, Ash, who identifies as non-binary, but of course was assigned female at birth. And I do have to say that at least in my experience with Ash, um, it feels really different to be with somebody who was socialized as female as well Mm -hmm. Uh, It gives me a different level of trust that when we state what our values are around gender roles, that it is not performative, that this other person really gets it, like, yeah, in their body. They know what I'm talking about. Yeah. How does that affect your parenting? Oh, it's really interesting because... You know, I, prior to June being born, I thought that I felt pretty certain that she was going to be a boy. And mm-hmm. I felt pretty certain that I, I preferred having a boy. Because I know <laughs> how complicated growing up female is. Yeah. And of course, that is a gross oversimplification. Growing up male is difficult as well in really different ways, um, yeah. from what I can tell. But certainly, like, right off the bat, it has been important to me to try to help my child, my, like, uh, assigned female at birth child, try to learn to be in touch with what she needs and what she wants, and Mm. to try to empower her to speak up for herself. Um, Whether that is, you know, um, at her dad's house or whether that is out in the world or whatever. I think knowing what you want and learning how to speak up for it is a skill like any other. And trying to teach her how to practice it feels sort of radical for a female-bodied person. For sure. I don't know about you, but I didn't even begin to wrap my head around how to speak up for myself and to not do it. I call it the vigilante. Like when I'm like almost like overcompensating or learning a new skill. And like when I was learning boundaries and rather than being able to state them, and I was like, no, you know, like you just, and I feel like when you're learning to speak up for yourself, it can be similar where, yeah. you, you know, like when someone's like, where do you want to go for, for dinner? And you're like, I do not want tacos. It's like, okay. You know, like um, mm-hmm. that is something I wish I had learned as well, I guess, build the muscle, you know, and just have more comfortability with it. And, you know, and I don't I I have no illusions about like fixing things for her generation. Like all I can do is give her a little bit more conscientious practice with it than I feel like I had as a young person. And I mean, now we're having a baby that we we know has a penis. So, uh, you know, we're imagining raising a little boy. And it's crazy to think about that now, like being having been June's parents for well, me for 10 years now, Ash for six years. Oh, my God, it just makes me feel like, wow, we have to like, 
really think hard about everything. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> I know that from my own conditioning, I am like real good at taking care of other people and anticipating their needs and things like that. And I think that's a skill that, well, for one thing, I, I don't think any of us need another man who doesn't know how to do things for himself. But for another <laughs> thing, like, I'd like to cultivate some of that in him. Yeah. Why not? You know? Yeah. That value of care. Yeah. A lot of my friends who have boys and it's really cool watching them really raise, you know, or to emphasize like sensitivity and empathy and things like that and see people you love and care about, like really work on this next generation, you know, is like wild to witness and see people like, you know, who knows what they'll get right or wrong, like who gives a shit, but they're trying, they're trying to make differences and change the way, you know, kids grow up and to grow up um I think it's just freer to be themselves like gender roles don't help anybody you know like they harm us all so seeing my friends really sort of boil things more down to like just qualities and self-expression and stuff like that and like values versus like boys do this or or like I want you know doing things and maybe reaction or opposition you know like and just being a little bit more um I think thoughtful about just like what they want for their kids is, is fascinating, you know, as we start to wrap up. So I don't take your entire day. What are you marinating on these days? What are you thinking about? What are you really excited about? I always like to know whatever people are just sort of like, can't get off their mind or they're obsessed with. And I don't care what it is. It can be snacks. It can be shows. Mm. It can be big concepts or big truths. You're maybe thinking about. Well, I am feeling like a little flicker of excitement for cooking again, which is something I've not felt for a long time. I mean, I I think a lot of us have felt that way because of the pandemic. So feeling a little, a little tiny flicker of interest in cooking, which feels really nice. I am really into this new sofa that we got. We had a sofa that uh, we have a guinea pig and we have a dog. And my spouse loves this guinea pig. And (laughs) this guinea pig peed an infinite number of times, an absolutely immeasurable number of times on our previous sofa. And finally, I was like, I can't even deal with this anymore. And we decided to get rid of it. And to make a long story short, we were going to use this beautiful vintage sofa that my spouse had in their office. And we Mm. brought it up and we sat on it for like one night to watch a show. And we were like, this is brutally uncomfortable. So <laughs> we took the money that we we made from uh, very cheaply selling our old stinky sofa on OfferUp and then selling this vintage sofa on OfferUp. And now we have a new sofa and I am so into it. It delights me every time I walk in the room. It's so comfortable. And I sound like such a grown up talking about my fucking sofa. But I have one other thing. It's a big deal. And we learned during the pandemic, like your sofa is kind of crucial. It is crucial. My sofa is dying and started to die during the pandemic. And more of why I haven't replaced it is I've had it for almost 20 years. And I just love it. I just am that attached to it. Well, that I just am like, but I, but I love this one, you know, and 
And everyone who comes over is like, you need to let this go. Well, and like the <laughs> other thing is, oh my God, they're just so stupid expensive. So yes. anyway. There's like no in between. It's like you can either pay, I want to say like 1500 and down, or you're looking at 5000 and up. Like there's just like so little in between that's sort of um, sobering when you go yes. to really like contemplate getting a new sofa. It's like, yes. oh my God, I didn't know. Like, I don't have a driver's license. And you were like buying a car. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Like a friend was buying a car recently and I was like, what do cars cost? You know, like, cause I don't have a license. I live in New York and she, I forget what, how much it was. And I was like, holy shit, like, what are you getting? And it was like a totally normal car, you know, like it wasn't anything luxury or fancy, but um, I was like, damn, but yes, a sofa can feel like you're buying a little baby car or yeah. something. Yeah. Well, ours was in the middle there in that range, at the lower end of that range, in fact. And it felt like a real chunk of change. But oh, my God, I'm so psyched about it. <laughs> the last thing I do want to say, the other thing I'm excited about is I just um, took a writing workshop myself. I mean, I, I teach oh. writing all the time. But, you know, I've taken a number of online workshops during the pandemic from writers that I love who live far away, who I would never otherwise have gotten to study with. But I don't even remember the last time I took like an in-person workshop with a writer just as a student. And God, it felt so good. It felt so good. And it was fascinating to me too, like the other students who were there, it was fascinating to me sociologically how strange people thought it was that I was taking this workshop, even though I have <laughs> already written books. And I was like, no, 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 no. This is like a lifelong thing and should be yeah. for all of us. But anyway, I took a workshop with Melissa Phoebos and it was so good. And uh, I don't know if you've read her book, Body Work. Um, yes. Anyway, she's just Incredible. she's all that and more in person. And it was great. And it left me like so juiced up for getting back to work. Isn't that the best? God, it's Isn't really it the, the best. Best when you, if whether it's a workshop or, uh, you know, um, a particularly good movie or something, you know, and you're like, I'm alive, you know, like yes. <laughs> the ideas run through my veins, you know, or like, I just think that like feeling of vitality is so incredible, you know, like I'm always so grateful for it and have to temper my brain from trying to immediately like replicate it, you know, yeah. of being like, let me seek out more. And I'm like, I no, know. we need to just like enjoy what's happening now, you know, <laughs> but I feel you on that. There's nothing like it when you know, I also think when someone you admire mm -hmm. or admire their work or when you meet them, it, it, whether that's virtually in person, whatever, and they're cool or the way they work or teach, you're like, oh, this is great. I felt that way, like, you know, with Fariha. I felt that way when I took the class with you as well. Of like, oh, this is so nice. Like, I mm -hmm. mean, granted, if you didn't, you know, fulfill my fantasy of who you were, that's on me, not you. But it is so nice when you're like, oh, man, I actually do like this person as much as I enjoy their work. You know, yeah. it's also, I think, uh, that, that juices me up as well. That which, is like such a nice thing to say about anyone. I love that. 
I mean, that's just me saying nice things to counter <laughs> all the bitchy things I say. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for not being scared that the person who always leaves like confessional comments on your Substack <laughs> reached out. <laughs> I love your comments. Your writing is always, even if you just leave a tiny short little comment, like I am never surprised when I see your name attached to it. Your writing is so distinctive and funny <laughs> and like Thank full you. of you. Anyway, so I was thrilled to get to come on this podcast and meet you. I super appreciate it. And tell everybody where they can find you. Ah, so my Substack is mollyweisenberg.substack.com. Is that right? Yes. God, okay. That's correct. Okay, great. <laughs> I try to post any teaching that I'm doing on my like regular old website, which is mollyweisenberg.com. And uh, I'm on the podcast Spilled Milk, which you can find wherever you find podcasts. There's another podcast called Spilled Milk that's not mine. If it has to do with parenting, <laughs> it's not mine. And and I'll leave it there for now. Amazing. You, everyone should listen to the Tahin episode because you hearing that Matthew had never had Tahin, your excitement for him to try it oh, is like God. really funny and endearing. You know, like that's true friendship right there when someone is so pumped for you to try a seasoning, you know, like cross section of passions right Have there. Have you ever had garlic salt? Yeah. Um, yes. Like. <laughs> The excitement was real. <laughs> it was real. Well, thank you so, so much. Thank you. This was a pleasure. How do you even sum up Molly's interview? I mean, what an incredible tale of being yourself and having the courage to do so and then having the grace to tell your story out there in the world. I just find something incredibly inspiring. And this is maybe a weird word, but like peaceful about how Molly moves through life. And I hope you're as inspired by how she's going about things as well. And just like how lovely she is. Like what a lovely person. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that today. And you will join me next week while we all figure out what we're doing on this planet and how to be human. Any questions, thoughts, topic suggestions, you can email them to me at annatonk at gmail.com. That's T-O-O-N-K. Or you can go to my website, annatonk.com, and there is a contact form. Feel free to send me love letters and topic suggestions. I always love to hear from you. Bye. That's all for today. If you're interested in submitting a topic, please go to annatonk.com and hit the contact button. Or you can email me at annatonk at gmail.com. If you're a fan of the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really does help. <laughs>